Hello, thespians. Hello. Welcome to Art Time of the Month. Hi. Hi, Josephine. Hi, Wendy. Uh, this is going to be a real heavy flow of an episode. Oh my gosh. It's going to be a son of a bitch. It, it's like we, <laughs> it's like we just stopped our birth control and, we, yeah. and it's the first period after. All the natural hormones are coursing through us. We have so much art to talk about. We have. Because it's not just our time of one month. No. We're talking about art time of two months. Art time of the summer months. Art time of a season, of the if se- you will. A season. <laughs> it has been a great season as well, a too. Huh? Love of a summer season. We're covering July and August for y'all today. Yeah. So we, we have a lot to dive into. Yeah. Want to get right into it? Let's go. Want me to whoopie it? Whoopie. All right. Here we go. Bring it. So for the month of July... We're going to talk about pride. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Lorax uh, on stage at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. I thought you were going to say the Lord. We're going to talk about the Lord. Axe. The Lord Axe. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about Pose on FX. Mm -hmm. Uh, Comic-Con. We're going to talk about me going to Denver to see Les Mis. Then we're going to bring you all the black excellence of August in cinema. And not even just black excellence, but like diversity excellence in cinema. Um, And we're going to talk about the fall of two legends, Miss Franklin Mm -hmm. and Mr. Neil Simon. Yes. Miss Franklin, who we discussed in like our very first episode ever. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yeah. When we talked about that moment at the Kennedy Center Honors where she threw down her purse on the piano. Purse down, coat (sighs) down. Oh my God. Now to our fives of listeners, I need to apologize if I sound a little hoarse and scratchy throated as I have taught week one of middle school. Lord. I know. Lord bless us. Bless. I pray for your strength. <laughs> Another school year has started and we're off and running. It's dope. But my voice was like, yo, <laughs> hold up, Miss Wendy. Have some hot tea. And I didn't. Mm. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah, so, so if her voice is a little pony, a little so, horse, so yeah. don't worry. All of you can enjoy my vocal fry. <laughs> <laughs> it's my gift to you. I feel like I have more vocal fry than you no, do. No, you don't. I'm like, remember that time I smoked for 15 years? Remember? Uh, that's me. I know. We're so sexy right now. Yes, we are. Um, okay. So let's dive in to our July. Let's start off with pride. 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 For our, for our fives of listeners who may or may not live in San Diego, um, while the rest of the country celebrates pride in July or in June, because June is pride month, in San Diego, we have the month right after. So our celebration just keeps going. We're on a delay. We're on a little bit of a delay. Mm-hmm. I did not attend the Pride festivities this year, but I heard it was like the longest parade ever. It was really long. I I, I try to go to the parade because I, you know, I, I like what I do enjoy the parade. I enjoy very much. Mm-hmm. And what I don't enjoy, um, you know, is fine, but yeah. it's tolerable. But I went to the parade. We were, um, we were at towards the beginning of the parade route by the Alibi um, uh-huh. in Hillcrest, San Diego. 
And um, we made it like, we were out there for maybe two hours. I heard the parade went on for over three. Yeah. So we then we went to go have sushi for lunch. And by the time we got out, the, they were just starting the like last bit. That's insane. Yeah. So we like had like a full day and every, we were trying to cut it like, okay, let's go, let's go after this one. And then the next one would come up would be something that we wanted to support. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. no, the, the um, indigenous, bikes. No. Bike. no, the indigenous people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, this, yeah. that, and the other. No, glisten. No. Oh, no. So here we are. Uh, but yeah, it was a very long parade. Well, I'm glad to hear, though, that there was like so much to see this year. Because yeah. in years past, I think the last couple times I went to the parade, it was weak sauce. Mm-hmm. There were like two floats with naked boys on them. And I was like, oh, that's why we go to Pride. I want to see all the floats with naked soapy boys in showers mm-hmm. on a moving float. That's what Pride is. Or should be, yeah. kind of, you know, that and celebrating rights. But, yes, you know, whatever. And rights and, <laughs> and, rights and representation. And rights um, and representation. There, the things that I liked were like the, it was like the fellowship of older gays. Oh, I You know, that. and they were all like riding a truck. <laughs> we were like yeah. riding a bus because, you know, they're yeah. the older gays. Yeah. And then there was like the long-term survivors of HIV they're and like, were, we were at Stonewall. Exactly. Like, I was diagnosed in 87, yeah. and I was told I had less than six months to live. Mm. I'm still here. And blah, blah. And, like, you know, just clapping. That stuff and, gets so emotional, too. Oh, yeah. Super emotional. I always get really uh, moved by the, the families that are there with mm-hmm. young babies. So, like, the beautiful rainbow families. And then even just, like, the older families, like, older parents who are wearing shirts that are, like, I'm proud of my gay daughter or or I'm so proud of my gay son. Like, those kinds of things are now, mainly in our city, so accepted. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, not just 10 years ago, it was not so accepted. So. There's definitely still a reason to to get our pride on Mm -hmm. every single year because more and more rights need representation. And now it's like, you know, I support my transgender son. Uh I support my transgender daughter. There was this like little group of, um, of kids that were right next to us. And I'm, I think one of them was trans and I was trying to decide whether or not they were like street kids, like Uh runaways because they, not just they had that look about them, but they were just so like, it it just felt that way given like everything that what they were clapping for and what they were responding to Uh and just overhearing their conversations a little bit. And it was just like, and then like in that case, like how important is that, that parade, that public Mm -hmm. event for Mm -hmm. them, you know? So that's beautiful. And then did you go to the headline events? No, I didn't do, I didn't do TLC. Did you, you didn't do it. No, TLC. Left yes. eye, rest in power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really, it was just TC. Just TC. Oh. Is that a joke in poor taste? Maybe. Is that in poor taste? <laughs> I feel like they've heard it enough, though. But left eye was batshit, yo. Yeah. She was fucking <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I mean, let's keep that real. Yeah. She was the crazy and crazy sexy cool, you know? She was bananas ape shit. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, anyway, I, uh, for the first time ever in my gay life, I went out after dark in the gayborhood, uh, during pride. What? I know I met with uh, my friends, Anthony and Eric, who have brought them up on this podcast yes, before. You have. And, um, it was the first time that I had done anything like w- w- pride with them. And they were like, yeah, come, we're going to go, we're going to go to so-and-so's place for a barbecue. And then we're going to walk to, uh, from there to, uh, flicks and yes. just dance. And I was like, cool. 
Did you cover yourself in glitter and walk around in a G? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Come on. I wish I did, but like I, I enjoyed it thoroughly and I could tell there was one moment where like in the loud bar with all the music and the bodies and everything, you could audibly hear this one man's giant fan clacking. And I was like, <laughs> I just heard like clack, clack. And I looked, I'm like, oh my God, it's a fan. Of <laughs> like, course it's a fan. Of course, because, you know, it uh, above all mm-hmm. of the noise, a clacking fan must be heard. Yes. <sighs> but yeah, it was fun. And it was like, we were, you know, there are, I like to say that they're friends like me in the terms of like every, not really anybody drank too much. And then we were all out of there and had got food in our bellies and home by 11. Mm-hmm. As you know, which was great as the gays of, of our age group. Exactly. Do. Exactly. As, as the gays Needing an, to be in bed at a sensible hour. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Well, this kind of transitions like really smoothly into pose. Um, I know that we've talked about Pose on our time of the month before, but it really did become the conversation of the summer. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel? Oh, yeah. It became the hit of the summer, I want to say. It did. And I'd like, there, I just heard it brought up in so many conversations, uh, which, you know, then begs us to like, you know, wonder it really did have its finger on the pulse of pop culture and on um, like social justice and what needs to be brought to light right now. Um, and the trans community, which, and like the such accurate throwback to the eighties ball community Mm -hmm. of drag and trans was like, it's so prevalent today. I'm going to stop beating up my microphone, but it was, um, it's such a, there's so much of what happened in the seventies, eighties is like coming full circle right now in LGBT culture, Mm -hmm. in politics, in like, it's insane. So pose. Oh, Pose. Like, the thing about Pose is, first of all, everyone deserves a nomination for mm-hmm. from performance to, all the way down to, um, all the way up to, I should say, like, Crew and Stephen Can- Canals, who was one of the co-creators along with Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. Um, I was doing a, I listened to an interview he gave on a podcast and talking about his journey and how he was like 30 years old going back to films, going to film school. And he, in film school, he had the idea for what if I did, what if there was a show about a young kid going to run away and join the balls? It was after watching Paris is Burning and his professor or something was like one of the creators or the director Mm. of Paris is Burning who ended up, uh, being a consulting producer on Pose. Um, so, so yeah, like, and from that was born, like, the idea for the, sh- for the series. And I just thought it was just, it was so fascinating to me. And it was definitely one of those texts where you were living in a moment where drag is having its moment. Like, drag is mm-hmm. fully in its mainstream having its for moment. For the last decade, yeah. For the, yeah. And this was a way to really honor that kind of culture and those roots, I felt. Um, I felt like just my heart overflowed with the amount of representation that was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I feel like that's been my, the topic of my whole summer. And we'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, aside from Comic-Con. it being just so flawlessly beautiful to mm-hmm. look at, I mean, visually it's a stunning series, but what strikes me so much about it and the conversation that I was hearing all summer is that representation cannot just happen up front, mm-hmm. right? And we're seeing this a lot in San Diego theater, right? There are theaters that are like, oh, look at us. We're casting diverse. We're casting diverse. And that's a great thing. But are you being a diverse theater if all your directors, all your designers, all your producers are white people? 
So where does the diversity extend, right? So, and like, who are we providing jobs to? So when we look at the production team on Pose, it's such a great example of like, we're representing this community, then we're representing this community at every single level of production in directing, in writing, in production. Um, like how many episodes did Janet Mock direct herself exactly. and write, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it just on so many levels, there was representation and, and an honest and true voice mm-hmm. of that community. And that's, it's, I mean, it's represented in the work. It's, it's, you see that up front then, you yeah. know, whereas if it's not in the work behind the scenes and woven into the fabric of the creation of something, then something is, it's thin or missing up front, you know, yeah. in that, and that end result. But this is not the case with Pose, which is why it's stunning and bright and shiny and everybody's loving it. Yeah. I loved it so much. Billy Porter deserves everything. I mean, like, no, I I mentioned him first because just like, that's the character that like I thought was, I thought had such this like moment in the entire series. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like all the other characters they did as well, but like his kind of hit pray tells journey that he goes on and you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, freaking cabaret in the AIDS mm-hmm. ward just with Sandra Bernhard there like yeah. everyone oh just enough yeah. enough already I just thought like the opening scene of the whole series where they're stealing from the museum and they walk into the ball in full mm-hmm. like royalty mm-hmm. uh, just like it sets up the whole series for like the scope and the scale of how seriously this was taken, what an art form the balls were, what yeah. a community the balls were. Ugh, just so good. Yeah, give them all all the Emmys. Question, how mm. did you feel about in this season, um, how did you feel about where we kind of left things with Angel and Stan, with uh, Evan Peters and... Um, I am here for Angel. I love her. Oh, love her. I stand for her. I stand for her. Love her. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That wasn't, I mean, it, it was, I think, an important relationship within the story, you know, in terms of like what the trans girls had to do to survive mm-hmm. and, um, and like the real feelings then tied up with your Johns. I was more, I shouldn't say Johns, but I was, I was more like kind of, uh, invested in the story of Miss Electra and her. Oh, and, and his, his name is actually John. Um, yeah. Is it John? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, him and her and her like long-term and, boyfriend. Yeah. SVU, Christopher mm-hmm. Maloney. Yeah. What up? Christopher Maloney, man. Okay. I need, I need a moment for Christopher Maloney because I just, just give me this moment. Chris Maloney was the realization of something clicked in my brain where I realized, oh, I like older men now. I'm uh-huh. there now. Yeah. Okay. It was the like, I'm going to stop liking boy bands and in sync. And then all of a sudden I was like, hello, officer. Mm-hmm. Hi, Elliot Stabler. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I, something flipped a switch and I was like, oh, I'm on this side of it now. Yes. Okay, it was Christopher Maloney that did that to me, really? and there you go. Really, you're welcome. 
Thank you, Christopher Maloney, Officer Elliot Stabler. Wow, I cannot believe that he ushered you into womanhood. Well, into older woman in <laughs> womanhood. <laughs> into into older into in, maybe middle aged womanhood. Into middle aged womanhood. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really fraught and complex. I did like the depth that they gave with Electra, like the even the though layers. bless her, she's not a strong actress. I can't. Was that a choice no, or was she girl, just? <laughs> mm, I mean, bless, bless up, but. <laughs> Oof. I mean, she had her moments that were like beautiful and soft and vulnerable, mm-hmm. but every time she like try, I don't know. There was oh, something yeah. in like her accent wherein she over like <laughs> enunciated yeah. words. And I was like, girl, just, just play the play, girl. Mm-hmm. Calm it down. <laughs> but, but her relationship with my man Stabler, oh. that was, mm-hmm. that was a, a relationship that I was more invested in mm-hmm. than the Angel Stan relationship. Yeah. I, the, there's something that he said that was And just, for people, for our fives yeah. of listeners who have not watched Pose, they have no fucking idea what we're talking about right now. Well, you better, you better get but on it. But get into it now. The, something that he said that Watch was so Watch it in the Drag Race off season. It was just like, it was so interesting because he, he said, like, he, they're arguing about, um about she wants to get her operation, the mm-hmm. gender confirmation surgery. And he, um, and he's like, no, don't, because if you do, then you're basically on the street. And then she's all like, this when is was Electra, Electra mm-hmm. and, and, um, and John. And she said, when was the last time that you, uh, when was the last time it's been years since you've played with my dick. And he, and he's all like, I did that for you. I saw how you, I saw how you would, you know, shudder and like how uncomfortable it made you. And I did that for you. And I'm just thinking, like, in that moment, yes, he's very caring. But then, like, what ends up happening, you know, spoiler alert, but what ends up happening is that he does cast her out. Uh-huh. And and that's it. In a way that's, like, brutal and cold. And it's like, wow, he re- she really was, like, mm-hmm. under the thumb of his money. You oh, know? Uh, for sure. Way, yeah. Crazy, oh. And crazy, then we crazy. cut to private dancer in the box, like... <laughs> I, oh God! I mean that that those moments, the Times Square private dancer moments. Mm-hmm. That is what I remember New York feeling like when I was little, growing up. Mm-hmm. Not that I went into private peep shows, but I remember. <laughs> I, was say. I remember New York and Times Square feeling gritty and dirty like that. You know, because I grew up in New York in the eighties, and anytime we went into the city to go and see a show or to like have a family day where we went to go and like see a Broadway play, we walked directly through all of Times Square and it was a gritty ass, dirty mess. Times Square is Disneyland now. It's like a fucking amusement park. But back in the day, I mean that they got that so right. And the piers, I mean, like my dad worked downtown. It was like, that was so accurate. So, I mean, like, just the the production value on that show alone like blows me away. So we can talk about Pose all goddamn day. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in reference to representation and pride and where the conversation is at right now in LGBTQ mm-hmm. culture, um, yeah. yeah, get into Pose if you haven't already. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how I can only imagine what Pose is doing for that those young trans kids mm-hmm. and just like feeling seen in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, some local events. Let's talk about the Lorax at the Old Globe Theater. Yes. 
Yes. So tell me, I did not get to see the Lorax. You I'm, didn't. I did oh, I thought not. you did. I was trying to get tickets, but it didn't end up working out with my work schedule and oh. what tickets were available when. So I did not end up seeing the Lorax. But um. I want to hear all about it because, I mean, as uh-huh. our listeners know, it had puppets and puppetry. <laughs> puppetry. It did. It did. It had puppets and trees and puppet trees. It did. It had all of those things. Um, so our friend James directed the Laura, or he associate directed it. Um, so he was on the original production when it was in Minneapolis. And then when it came to San Diego to remount at the globe, he, he worked on, you know, the directing on this end and the staging of it and all that. And he has a great relationship with the globe anyway. So that just totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He directs the Grinch every year and all that. Um, so the Lorax was this production that was originally at the Minneapolis Children's Theater first mm-hmm. um, and then made its way to San Diego. Dr. Seuss, beautiful, like gorgeous environmental story, which like, I'm, I don't know. I was not necessarily a Dr. Seuss kid, were you? I was, totally was. Were you? We would get... Um, we would get Dr. Seuss books delivered like once a month from really? like a little book club that my mom was a part of or something. But really? yeah, totally a Dr. Seuss. Even though Seuss he kid. wrote Nazi propaganda? See, we didn't know that. Yeah, then. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he anti- wrote Nazi anti Japanese propaganda. He sure did. Yeah. Definitely did. But then he went and wrote The Lorax, which is this beautiful, wonderful uh, tribute to the trees and the environment and uh and staged, it was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. Um, was just, uh, it was so special, and it was so colorful and gorgeous. And um, my friend Brian, our friend Brian, was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, who and he lives in Minneapolis now, but he then came kind of full circle, came back to San Diego mm-hmm. um, with it. It was just I. I was at the final invited dress. Mm-hmm. Of the Lorax. Because she fancy, because she know people. Well, I just, I invite myself now <laughs> to invited dresses and um, people let me in. So there you go. But um, I really wanted to go and see it again. Mm-hmm. Like I really wanted to see it again. And then that didn't really work out. Um, but uh, I mean, the puppetry was just incredible. And when I was telling James about my experience in London and what I had seen over spring break, he was like, wait, wait, wait. You saw Vivaldi reimagined and you saw that Pinocchio, those are the same guys that did the puppetry for the Lorax. So James is now like in with all of those puppetry teams. And um, it was just kind of, again, like another kind of connective moment in in theater. It was just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like a mess in tears by the end of the show, but it was just like a really, really stunning piece. And fun and silly and gorgeous and colorful and had puppets that were flying and puppets that were like handheld and operated by like two different people and oh god it was just so good okay so <laughs> um so yeah the Lorax was just fucking gorgeous and then it became this thing this summer where like no one could get tickets no and, and that's also the thing I had everyone was trying to get tickets yeah. and it was just sold. Um, and rightfully so, cause it was just amazing and everyone was bringing their babies and, um, 
I mean, people of all ages were going to see it. It was just a really, really great show for the Globe. Yeah, and like Audrey Geisel, who is um, Dr. Seuss's widow, she like is still a very prominent figure in in San Diego, and she donates all this stuff. Like she, you know, this is Dr. Seuss is a is a local son, so that makes that makes complete sense that they would have that here. Mm-hmm. Straight up, straight up. Um, what else do we need to talk about? So, so I went to the Lorax and you didn't. You no. went to Comic Con and I didn't. Yes. You want to talk about it? Yes, but did you? Would you have wanted to go to Comic Con? No, because that is not my thing. And Josephine knows this. I am not one for like amusement parks or crowds, um, <laughs> or like I books with maps. <laughs> yeah, no, I love books with maps. Um, I. I love museums. I'm mm-hmm. very, I'm a museum person, not an amusement park person. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So I don't know, but something like Comic-Con that is like a giant, like, oh, it compact, is a spectacle. claustrophobic yeah. kind of event. I just, I, I can't, I don't, I won't. So well, I've also never been into mm-hmm. like the Marvel and the like, yeah. I've, that's never been like, I'm amused by your love for it. Then. See, and that's the thing is that I am not really, I'm not a comic book person by any means. And, mm. and more every time I go to com or like uh, up until this year, uh, when I go to comic con and I've, I've been fortunate enough to go, um, a, a few times. Can you talk a little bit about like how it works? Sure. So like, how do you get in? How much do tickets cost? Can do you do day passes, week passes? What is it? Sure. So uh, with Comic-Con, uh, specifically we're talking about uh, San Diego Comic-Con, SDCC for short, or Comic-Con International. And this is like the main one. This is the main one. When people, when people say, oh, we're going to Comic-Con, they're me- they mean this particular one. Because okay. this is the one that is the biggest, the most opulent, the most widely known in the industry. If they're talking about New York Comic Con, or they're talking about X person Comic Con. They will say Emerald City Comic Con or WonderCon or anything. Mm-hmm. But when they just say Comic Con in July, Diego. they mean San Diego. Got it. Okay. And it, you know, a little history. It used to be in the basement of the Town and Country Hotel. Really? Uh, yeah. It used to be in just like the in base, Mission Valley. In Mission Valley. Nah. Yeah. It used to be there, um, and it was definitely one of those things where you could meet all of these people, all these really super big name authors and illustrators from comic books that are like legends now, like they name awards after them now, uh-huh. but there you could just like meet them. And it was very small, very small, very niche um, people who volunteered for it. Um, uh, my friend Becca, our friend Becca, mm-hmm. she has been volunteering there since she was uh, like a kid, like in single digit age. Mm. And she's a, she's still a volunteer now. Her kids are volunteering, mm-hmm. um, and she has T-shirts from these like artists that drew like you know little character, you know, little sketches on her T-shirts and stuff. And she remembers the history of it. And wow! So, um, so it started like that, and then. Uh, and then it be and then it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and then where it kind of like at least for me where it kind of exploded was maybe the summer two or one or two summers before 
um, the Transformers movie happened. Mm -hmm. And then when the Transformers movie happened, that's kind of when it becomes this huge, ginormous spectacle of, oh my gosh, we're going to, all these different things. Now it's all these TV shows and movies Mm -hmm. and they've re kind of branded it as this like celebration of the popular arts. Yeah. It's like pop culture, right? It's It's like, like new series that are coming out. Like I remember Glee was a big thing at Comic-Con, wasn't it? Glee is a big thing at Comic-Con. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was was Uh actually a really big thing at Comic-Con this year. Um, yeah, it's a, and it became like this place where any, where like the walking dead ruled game of Thrones ruled, you have star Wars rule. Like it's, it became that, that place where those fans could get together and meet these people and everything. And up until this year, I felt like every time I went, I felt like this poser almost because it's like, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I I recognize how fortunate enough to be there. And it's like a whole production to get a ticket. Like you have to, um, you have to pre-register and like create like this account. And then once you do that, if you've already been before, you can go to the pre-registration. And what that is, is that you wake up on the, on the West coast, at least you wake up at like seven o'clock in the morning to enter a digital waiting room. And then when you enter that digital, I know it's on the, it's on a screen you enter and then you sit in this virtual internet waiting room for an hour. And then when it's eight o'clock, that's when the tickets will, that's when you get randomly drawn uh, to uh, get to have the opportunity to purchase. And so you can purchase for yourself, but you can also purchase for up to three friends. Huh. And then what are the purchase prices? So the purchase prices are $50 a day. Okay. Um, and if you're in the military, it's half off. Interesting. Which is very interesting. And then children. Does under that extend to age, like military families too? Or um, just... Military active duty. Okay. So. Um, they there's a, I forget how they verify it, but but yeah. So, for example, I couldn't just walk downtown, walk into the convention center just to walk around and look. No, in fact, this year was the most strict they've been. So they they banned um, they banned uh, anybody from being on Harbor Drive, which is the street right in front of uh, right in front of the convention center. Wow. They they if you did not have a badge, you could not be there. Because before, up until last year, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a badge, you could walk outside the convention center. You just yeah. couldn't go in. Huh. But now they made it so that way, not even you couldn't. You have to have a badge in order to like um, to go up and into that convention center area. Interesting. And they made people like show them, show me your badge, show me your badge, because the police were authorized to give tickets to people who are not supposed. Yo, to Yo, for real. Yeah. Well, it is an international event. Exactly. So you were saying, so this year is the first time you didn't feel like a fraud? I did not feel like a fraud this year. And I think it's because, so last year I made a friend with, um, his name is Matt Kelly. And he is the, one of the producers and uh, co-hosts of this horror podcast. And, uh-huh. you know, my other podcast I do with Joshua, Fright School, listen on iTunes. Um I know. I was like, plug, uh, shameless plug, shameless plug, shameless plug. Um, I met him last year, told him about my show with Joshua. He started listening, really liked it. And then we just connected and had over the course of the last year built this like digital friendship. And, and it wasn't until this past comic con when he came on the fright school podcast and mm. did, and we talked about his favorite movie, um, that, I was that we like were able to like sit in a room again and we had this great conversation and I saw him every day that I, I had a four day pass. I went every day and I saw him and talked a little bit about uh, horror and things. And so I felt connected more with the, 
with what was going on. Cool. All right, I'm vaguely curious. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because they have a lot of interesting panels as well. Mm-hmm. So in addition to like, you know, the Marvel panel where they preview the X movie that's coming out, there's also like some really interesting discussions. Like I sat in on a panel that was like, representations of Russians in popular culture. Wow. And it was like three Russian guys who hmm. who were releasing like a short film and they were talking about how like Russia and the Soviet Union is represented in popular, popular culture. And the image of like the shirtless Putin on a horse. No, no. But he was kept talking about like, you know, they were like, you know, in Soviet Russia, there's this, there the paper is called The Truth. And there's no, and that's the only paper. There's no other paper. There's only mm. one truth, is, is what they said. And wow, it's so it's so fascinating. And I I sat in on that because I was waiting for the next panel, which was called Queer Fear, and it was literally about the representation of LGBT people and characters in horror films, huh. which is you know close to my other podcast. And it became less about like specifically horror films and more about genre films in general. Like, why is it important? It's important to have queer people in genre films, just like it's important to have queer people in any films. Mm-hmm. But is that? But the responsibility of queer artists to make queer stories it, it was just fascinating cool so they say so they have those kinds of things and if you really look and you research and you there's there's reasons for you to go all right but i mean if you also want to like wait in line like i have you know my friend nitsan she's one who waits in the line like she waits in line to get a wristband for her to come back the next day to wait in line again to go into hall h which is the large like like thousands of person hall that you can like see what's going on with like the Harry Potter movie and all that stuff. Look at my face. I know. I know. She has, she has this awesome air mattress (laughs) that she like puts out that doesn't require, like she has a pump that she can pump with her feet. So that way she can sleep in line. Like she's hardcore. She is. But I mean like, I, I got to give it up to like people they're passionate about what they're passionate about, right? Exactly. Yeah. And she's I like, I can't knock it. And shout out to Nitsan because she, not only does she go to Comic-Con, she's been to the Star Wars celebration mm-hmm. and she, um, in both London and in Orlando. And she is, um, and, and when she was in uh, Star Wars Celebration in London, she's also a huge Harry Potter person. So she like did the tour and all that stuff mm-hmm. too. So shout out to her. Word. Thanks, Nitsan. Yeah. Nice. But that was my Comic-Con experience. Wow. Well, thank you for informing us. I'm like, I'm vaguely curious. And dare I say where I'd be in town next summer, Josephine. Oh my God. I would do like a day. I... I would do a day of like walking through the booths and seeing stuff. Yeah. And there's tons to do outside of the convention center that do not require a badge. Uh So there's all this, like they've, they've really turned the outside of downtown San Diego into this huge. It's like a spectacle. Yeah. Like all of the gas lamp was like, there was like a live helicopter in a parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. It is opulent. Crazy. Well, were someone to do the whole ticket spiel, Mm because you know, I'm not going to do that shit. (laughs) I will not do any of that waiting shit, but I would, I'll Venmo you some cash. Oh, all right. If you wanted to do it, if I'm in town next summer. If you're in town, you know, you could be, you could be on tour. You never know. You never know. All right. So I want to talk about the end of my July. Okay. Um, I went to Denver to go and see one of my best friends playing Jean Valjean in the national tour of Les Mis. (sighs) 
Oh my God. So, okay. So how do you know him? Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that this whole trip I booked around this other puppet project that I was doing. So I was directing this um, puppet project called Beanstalk, which was like a fun half hour production version of Jack and the Beanstalk, which we did with like all kinds of large scale puppetry down in Liberty station around the corner from the airport. Um, so that night our show was at five thirty, right? All these families come out to see what we're doing. By the end of it, we load all the puppets back into the studio. I'm like dripping in sweat because it's the end of July, right? And literally like standing on the sidewalk, sweating and like calling my lift to take me to the airport <laughs> with my luggage. And I was like, all right. So the second I walked into the airport, like all of my sweat dried on my body and I got <laughs> onto a plane. I was like, sorry, person sitting next to me. Oh, well. Uh, so by the time I got to Denver, it was like one in the morning. Um... And yeah, so I was in Denver kind of for reasons that are twofold. I went to go and see a friend of mine and, uh, and stay with her and her two beautiful little girls. And then, um, and then I was also there to see Nick. Um, so Nick and I went to college together Mm -hmm. to Arizona state university together and we were theater majors. Um, and Nick was one of those kids who was, uh, performed in the community a lot. I put my water down. Okay. Um, and they, uh, it was interesting because that was new to me. That was a very new thing to me because I grew up in New York theater. So we didn't have like community theater like that, you know, like you took classes in the city, you danced with companies, but there was no like regional theater around Mm -hmm. you to perform with. Um, so when we were at school, I was always kind of going to see Nick in these shows. Anyway, before all of that, Nick and I met in geology, I know. It was one of those like like science classes that we had to take. Um, you know, one of your like gen ed requirements. Whatever. I would have loved to know you in a geology Honestly, course. it was kind of fascinating. And then like we had to have a geology lab where we like climbed the mountains and studied the rocks say, and all in that Arizona, stuff. Arizona, I mean, was, that's probably the best place to have geology. It was kind of cool. Like I'm not mad at it. So anyway... I meet Nick in this class, right? Now, at the time, I was a dance major. I was thinking about transferring into the theater department. I meet Nick in this class, and uh, and he's like, I'm a theater major. And I was like, oh, shut up. I'm thinking about transferring and blah, blah, blah. And I'm from New York. I was like very newly from New York. I had just left New York for the first time. Um, and he was like, I'm going to be on Broadway. And I was like, yeah, yes. I was like bullshit, whatever. Um, mainly because I'm like, Psh, you don't know. I'm like, <laughs> you don't know the world I come from. Psh, whatever. It was like I know Broadway. I know, I know. But that was like one of the first things he said to me, and um, that is ballsy as fuck, though. That's who he was, though. Oh, like God. that is who he was at like 18. And then I heard him saying, and I was like, oh shit, he is gonna be on Broadway. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so. Um, so that was it. It was like four years of like us being in the theater department together, taking classes together, seeing him in shows in the community together. I knew his family and, you know, like it was all that, you know, um, he like, <laughs> he like bought me lunch every day for like an entire semester <laughs> just because yes. I was always that poor kid and he like just had all this money on his like his, his dining- sun devil card, his sun devil <laughs> dining card. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, he's, he's like, just hey, like next white man. I can't. <laughs> he's just like one of my favorite people in the whole world. So when he got married, I went back to Phoenix for his wedding and um, friends with him and his wife and like all that. So anyway, um, he's a heterosexual. He's a hetero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> Good for him. <laughs> Joe's really excited about this, Nick. Yeah, well, yeah. when he, I mean, first of all, if a heterosexual <laughs> man, if I met, a, if I'd have met a man at eighteen who said, "Hi, I'm a theater major. I'm going to be on Broadway," <laughs> I would have been like, "Queen." Queen. Oh, oh, good for him, I though. I know. Good for him. I know. So he, um, yeah. So anyway, so after a while, he he uh, he was on Broadway. He made his debut with um, Jesus Christ Superstar. New what? York. Yeah. So when it left La Jolla Playhouse and went to New York, he was one of the few New York actors that they cast in it. And then, uh, so he's done a couple of shows in New York, and then. Uh, he toured with Phantom of the Opera. And so this is his second tour. So he booked this tour. Um, and uh, he booked Jean Valjean, which yeah. was like <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so let me tell you the, the story of tender Wendy walking into the lobby of the Denver Center. So... So I'm there with my friend Allison. Anytime Nick was in a show that toured up in LA, Allison at the time lived in LA. So I'd grab her and be like, come on, we're going to see Nick and Phantom. Come on, we're going to see da 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 whatever. So, so Allison like knows Nick also. So we go to the Denver Center. We had like a really lovely dinner. We walk into the lobby and the second, like I didn't even see a, like a poster yet. But like we walked into the lobby and I immediately was like, oh my God. What are these feelings in my throat? What's going on? It was insane. Insane. Then I go to the merch table and I'm like, let me see the, the program, like the $20 one that you buy and blah, blah, blah. And it's basically like the Nick Cartel yearbook, right? Yeah. So like on every page is his face and I'm just like weeping. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, this show hasn't even fucking started yet. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong this with me? This is like me? three hours. Insane. <laughs> like- I know. So then I'm texting his wife and I'm like, Christine, like, what is wrong with me? Um, and so she was like, girl, just hang on. She's like, <laughs> she's like, bring tissues in. I know it's insane. And I was like, Haha. it was, it was bananas. So, so, um, I, I, I'm like. I've tried to like describe this experience to, and I tried to describe it to him like the next day. Cause we got to hang out after. Um, but I was like, obviously like, first of all, I grew up seeing Les Mis in New York, you know, like I saw the original yeah. production, like with the two turntables and all that. So, um, with the rotating stage and all that, but I hadn't seen the show in like 30 years and there'd been so many reiterations of it and all of that. Um, I just hadn't seen any of them because the only lame as I ever saw was the one that opened in New York in the late eighties. So cut to me then seeing it like almost 30 years later with like one of my best friends in this like pinnacle role. It was, I don't know that I've ever felt that kind of pride for someone that I wasn't like teaching or that I wasn't like blood related to, you know, it was it was just this kind of like overwhelming experience to oh. see like like he is doing exactly what he said he would do when we were 18 years old and oh my god and like how how lucky that i've gotten to see this whole journey you know yeah. so i just kind of kept weeping like throughout the entire entire show and like obviously it was a beautiful show but a lot of it just had to do with this like 
overwhelming pride I had for my friend. Yeah. Um, which is kind of such a, a cool and special thing. Like when you get to see your friends kind of have these these moments like where they're doing what they on these doing national now. stages. Yeah. And I feel like we're at this this point in our lives and in our careers where like you know, I have people in New York doing big, big things and I have yeah. people on tour doing big, big things. And mm. this was just one of those moments that like completely overwhelmed <laughs> me in a way that I was not expecting to be overwhelmed. So the next day I was like talking to his wife and I was like, all of a sudden my face was wet and I didn't know why. And then I looked <laughs> down and like, I was wearing a pretty low cut dress and like my tits were wet. And I was like, what's going on? Cause literally like feelings were pouring out of my eyeballs like the whole night and just like down the front of my dress it was it's like a gentle stream of salty it tears it really was it was insane so anyway i can just i can just see like whoever what whoever is like next to you is like this woman is this woman is living oh my god I had two like an four end six oh one it was oh god god damn it i mean it was so good Anyway, anyway, that was that experience, but it was, it was really special. Well, kudos to him. And And he's just insanely talented. So, oh God, that means he was in the, that means he was in the tour that came through here. He was, but actually what's funny is that when he booked the tour, he told me, don't be mad, but I took that San Diego week off as my vacation because it was his 10 year wedding anniversary. Well, yeah. And I was like. First of all, Nick, I'm not going to go and see you at the Civic Theater. Like, I'll go see you at the Pantages in LA. If yeah. That's the case. Like, but I hate the Civic. I'm not going to. It's fine. Yeah. So he wasn't actually performing the week that Les Mis was here. Oh, it was a, a understudy. Yeah, he was in Europe that week for, for his him. for his anniversary. Yeah. So yeah, but if if the tour extends and if he stays on to go to LA, then he'll be. On that end of things, eventually. So, we'll so, see. so Les Miserables, <laughs> Les Miserables is held a very special place in my heart. Does it? Because um, it is, it's the musical that, um, it's the musical that I listened to the original um, cast recording that I listened to every time I was pulling an all nighter for a paper or oh. any or studying or anything. Uh-huh. And if I was really like, okay, I need to do this. This needs to be done within the next three hours. I would put on the original soundtrack. Uh-huh. There was no cast recording of Les Miserables. And I would like just go in. And it's just, <laughs> you know. It's such an epic like it tome is so to just get epic. lost inside of. Yeah, Exactly. And then I would just like, I've written many a paper. It's also like the second musical that I ever knew about when I was like alive. And... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was like in eighth grade singing stars at a Christmas pageant. Like. <laughs> oh, little gay Joe. Little gay Joe. Little gay Joe. <laughs> Were you on the island still? I was on the island. Uh, and the only reason why we, the only reason why he, sh- uh, my Little Guamanian Joe singing exactly. stars. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just that visual. <laughs> Fallen from God. <laughs> Fallen from God. But the only reason uh, why I'm he, here for it, I would have been there snapping. Exactly. Hey. The only reason why we show, he showed it is because uh, my uh, my fabulous Filipino music teacher had this hard on for Lea Salonga, mm-hmm. and it was the 10th anniversary Dreamcast at the at the um, in, in concert in, in concert, mm. and that was what he showed us. Interesting. Yeah. So. Anyways, nice. <laughs> well, well, I hope that I get the pleasure of seeing it one day with him. Straight up. I mean, if he, if they extend, if they have a run in LA, then I'll take you up there with me and we'll go and see him. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And you'll get to meet my Nick. Yay. 
Um, yeah, but it's it's really cool when your friends do dope shit, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I don't say that lightly because all of my friends work incredibly hard. And it's so cool to see someone who's worked so fucking hard. Yeah. Like enjoying so much success, and yeah. and that was just and that's such really a cool. formative time in both your lives. Yeah, you know, to be that close to someone for that, you know, for such a formative time. Yeah. You know, he brought you lunch every day. Like, come <laughs> on, like, of course. That's right, Nick. Burger King all the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's July. So that's July. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Lord. Okay. There was a lot there. There is a lot. How are we doing? We, well, well, you know, we, we're, we're here a while. I mean, you guys, we only do this once a month. So we, we got a mega episode we coming got a at mega you. Episode, so. All right. We're about to talk about the black and Asian excellence yes. of cinema this summer. Yes. So just to like recap several movies, um, Sorry to Bother You, which Joe and I are going to go in on in a second, yes. which we saw together. Yes. Blind Spotting, which, which we, we also, also saw together. together. Uh, the Black Klansman. I, Crazy- have a, I have a story about Black Klansman. Okay. <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. And we're going to talk about Eighth Grade, which I saw this morning, actually. Um, and then, yeah, and there's some good stuff happening on Netflix, too. Yes. So, so uh, let's talk about... Hold, what are be- you talking about? Be- so before we talk about it, so... When Wendy and I decided that this was going to be a double episode, I, you know, I just bought a car. I had, you know, girls on a hard, girls on some hard, you know, he's, he's, he's. She thrifty. She thrifty. She thrifty. And I was like, okay, well, um, I'm more than happy to go. Let's go to like this theater up North where it's like $8 all day. And she's like, oh no, we're going (laughs) to. Girl, we're buying one ticket. We're We're pulling a movie hop. And I was like, I have never done that. He's like, I've never movie hopped. I've never seen more than one movie on one ticket. I'm like. Josephine, <laughs> you clearly did not grow up on Long Island and because I, this is what we did. I was like, um, see, I was like, see, Wendy, because the island I grew up on, there's only one movie theater <laughs> with like I, one screen, and we can't. <laughs> I mean, it was a multiplex still, but okay. it's only because if you you can't afford to get thrown out of the one, <laughs> the one movie theater because they know you, your name would be on a register <laughs> exactly. for the rest of your life. It's like, <laughs> Lord knows, like the manager would be like my cousin or like some uncle or something, yeah. and I'd be like, no, you can't come. Jesus back here. would strike you he on the would. on a beach. Somewhere. I have. Yeah. Never, I have never seen a movie that I did not pay for a ticket for. Well, welcome to cinema traveling with uh, Miss Wendy. Well, we and, and it kind of backfired on us because we were going to see Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting back to back, and so I was trying to do some reconnaissance beforehand and figure out like which theater Blind Spotting would be in afterwards, so that we could just kind of quietly sneak in. Well, turns out we get out of Sorry to Bother You. And we're like looking all around for where blind spotting is going to be. And it's in the theater we were just in. Which we so found like, out after buying a ticket. Which we would have had to like go out anyway so that they could like clean and reset or whatever. So like we would have been spotted anyway. So we actually did wind up buying a ticket for the second show. But but even the guy was like, really? You're buying a second ticket? He's like, like some <laughs> people just skip. Just- <laughs> He's like, most people just go into their second movie. We're like, thanks, dude. Now that we have your blessing, we'll hey, totally yeah, do it next exactly. time. Do you want to just give us a refund? For right. What exactly. Bought? Come on. Well, thank you. Okay. Um, so let's talk about... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm just getting ready for what we're <laughs> going to talk about. So we're about to spill some tea. Let's let's go in. Let's talk about sorry to bother you. You first. I don't even have words to go to start. I 
I'm, I still don't know what it was about. So, uh, brief synopsis. So it was like... Ugh. Basically, it takes place in a... It takes place in Oakland. So, that movie... That day, we happened to see two movies that both took place in Oakland. So, mm-hmm. it takes place in Oakland and in... A Did suppos- Sorry to Bother You was in Oakland? Sorry to Bother You was in Oakland. I didn't realize that. Um, it, they mentioned at the very end uh-huh. um, that they're in Oakland. Okay. But it, it takes place in Oakland and it's uh, centered around this man um, named Cassius who... Um, her name Cash, but it's short for Cassius, who uh, gets a job as a telemarketer. That's where the term Saudi Bali comes from. And he, in order to be successful as this telemarketer, he puts on a white voice. And it's not just like him doing a white voice, like it's a dubbed, it's David Cross's voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> as um, who you may, people may know as Tobias Funke on, from Arrested Development, mm-hmm. and it's his voice as the uh, as the white voice that he ends up getting a lot of success from, mm-hmm. and like that's just like the very basic. It's like the. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's that's what's on probably IMDb, but, like, mm-hmm. there's so much more going on. So it was, like, I feel like if they took that through line and just, I don't know if they, I don't know. But, like, it was satire to the nth degree, yeah. you know? And later on, we see Cash's girlfriend in performance art applying a British accent, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of, like, applying different voices to get what we need or what we want, like... I get that, like to achieve success, but then it took it to this whole sci-fi, weird, fucked up, we're going to turn you into a crazy horse machine Mm -hmm. thing. Well, there's like this whole, like there's a company that basically is, um, you can like sign a contract and they will, they'll feed you, they'll house you, you just work for them. Like Uh basically slavery. Yeah. And yeah, so the idea then of turning you into like mules again, it's like satire to the extreme. Um, but it was also kind of done in this weird like claymation kind of very like crudely. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, it was very it, there it, everything also leading up to that point up to the reveal of like, oh no, we're going to turn people into horses. Mm-hmm. Like uh, all the way up until that was also very stylized and very very surreal. Like very stylized and very surreal because uh, m- one of my favorite um, uh, favorite things they did in the production was um, when he's on the phone and he's like, "Oh, sorry to bother you." He like is literally dropped in the middle of wherever he's. Uh huh. And I wish that they went further with that. I really did too yeah. because I just <clears> thought <throat> that was such a good way to illustrate how abrupt those kinds of phone calls can- yeah. are and what that's all what that's doing what's all, what that's all doing and i just think like wow like i that i liked and then i'm like okay i'm hooked and then there was other things that happened <laughs> at some point i'd say a good maybe like 60% into the film i checked out like hard yeah i just turned to joe and i was like the fuck are we watching? She made a great fruit salad. (laughs) I did. I did. I packed a good fruit salad. I made us little baggies of fruit salad for us. We had like, we had a long island day. We had a feast. Listen, I don't play around when it comes to going to the beach, when it comes to going to the movies. I get like full long island on you. Yes. So I, I checked out at that point. I was like, I have no shame in getting up and going to the bathroom right now. Like, I didn't yeah, care. Yeah, she got up. She was, like, <laughs> was like, bye. I have like, no idea oh what God, I'm watching like, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just here to see what happens. I was like, throw my hands up. I give up. Like, whatever. 
And the thing <laughs> is, is that this was one of the one of the hyped movies that I was interested in seeing this year. Same. And I was like, oh, that's that's something that's really going to push the envelope, and that's something that's like really going to be important. An important commentary. And I think it, it was on some level. It's just yeah. like it took and still is still taking time for my brain to process it because I just yeah. watching that, being in that theater and seeing it was such a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. I was I felt like accosted by that movie in such a way <laughs> that was like, what the fuck are you doing? doing to me right now i don't get this it was so strange i feel like if i saw it maybe one more i need to see it one more time at home in a safe space well godspeed friend because i will not see it again (laughs) bless up i will not see that with you oh okay okay let's move on to blind spotting oh man blind spotting was david ziggs and rafael casal it was the salve (laughs) I mean, I turned to Joe, I said, this has better be redemptive for the shit we just saw. And we almost didn't, like, we were so fucked up by the We were so fucked by the first movie. We were like, should we just go home? We were like, should we, should we? And we couldn't find the theater because we were still, we had to We almost gave up the ghost, but we didn't. No, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm so glad we stayed because that movie made up for everything that we needed it to. It was so... Good. And it was born of this like lifelong friendship and this like beautiful tribute to the city that they love. And, and uh, it was just an amazing commentary on police brutality. And it came from what had happened at Fruitvale station. That was kind of the catalyst for them to start writing together. Um, Gentrification. Gentrification of Oakland. Like it was such a huge through line in that. It was, it's a really good movie. There, there's a moment, again, this is chock full of spoilers, so, mm-hmm. you know, just be aware of that, uh, our fives of listeners. But th- there's that moment where he's talking and it's like, you can see, because uh, Rafael Casals, he present, he's very, uh, he's passing, he passes white. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what other, what he... Um, what his ethnicity is or how he identifies, but like he passes as white Mm -hmm. and he's the most vocal one about anti this gentrification Uh and that point where in the, when they go to this party, this like at like kind of a tech house party in Oakland, where not only does the host of the party have the same tattoo that he has, but another uh, black guy goes up to him and is like, Hey man, you don't need to do this. You don't need to act like, you know, you're from the city Uh and it's like, Bitch, I am from the city. Like, yeah. this is my lifeblood. I'm from here. You're the intruder. Like, it was, it's so interesting and brings up this great conversation about, like, who who has claimed to what. And I, I don't know. I just thought that his story was, was more, was, I, I thought it was uh, what kept me there more uh-huh. than what, um, uh, with a, uh, David Diggs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And interesting because he's also like in a biracial relationship, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. they, they have a biracial child. And like mm-hmm. when his wife is like, he needs to be bilingual. And mm-hmm. he's like, he's already biracial. Like yeah. whatever, you know? Like, so it was just, there were, it, it was so funny too. Mm-hmm. Like there were moments that just felt so personal. Like they, they let you in on the joke and like yeah. in a way that you became a part of these friendships and these relationships. And, but it was also so heartbreaking yeah. And so real. Ugh, it was good. It was a real good movie. It was movie. a very good film. A real good movie. Um, oh, God. I don't know if he'll listen to this. So I have a friend who I said, I was, I, I said, blind spotting was great. I'm really curious. If you do see it, I'm really curious to hear what you think. Um, 
because I don't think this is the kind of film that he would enjoy or mm-hmm. even think was good. And so then he messaged me and he's like, I just walked out of blind spotting. Why? I did not like it at all. He said that it was the most awful movie he'd seen this year. What? It was the most mindless drivel. He used the word, uh, it was utter drivel is what he said. I know. Oh my. I know. I was just like, well, I definitely didn't think it was going to be for you. So. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the thing. That's the thing I love about, um, the thing I love about movies like that is mm-hmm. that they, they elicit some sort of, sev- like such a response, whether mm-hmm. for better or worse. It's art, y'all. It's our time. Exactly. That's why. But yes, blind spotting, go see it. You, it um, got the Joe and Wendy thumbs up yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the soundtrack to Blind Spotting, so dope, so oh, dope. My God, so dope. The two of them founded the Bars Workshop in New York. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just aspiring like poets and rappers and and up and coming artists and stuff. So, like, they they know their shit. Like, they're yeah. so knowledgeable and. Have it, you heard any of the other songs on the soundtrack? Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, it's real good. Easy come or easy go on the soundtrack. I just like. Joe's getting real street right I'm now, guys. Just like I, I Joe's I, getting. He's going so hard right now. It was now. my like. Let's get ready for work song. Hey. And I like driving into work. I'm all like. You got that good yes. bounce on. Like. Uh, uh. Yes. <laughs> oh man. So good. Blind so spotting. So good. Um, let's talk about the Black Klansman. So how did you see Black Klansman? I saw it yesterday. I okay. took myself on a Wendy date. Yay. And um, I decided that Wendy dates involve buying purses and seeing movies. Yes. And I did both of these things. Get you a man who will take you on an actual date that does that. Listen, I don't need no man. I can take myself on those kinds of dates. But oh, man. gentlemen, feel free to apply. Feel free. So feel free to take me to lovely films and buy me beautiful leather bags. Anyway, um, so (laughs) I went to go see Black Klansman by myself. It was one of those films that I was really glad I got to sit there and process alone without someone else like wanting to talk about it immediately or having side conversations or, or needing to like whisper things about it. Like not, you don't do that, but like there are. There are people who, plenty of people who will do that, you know, and like, it was just so nice because I also saw the first show of the day. So the theater was like real empty. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of noise happening around me. It was like, (laughs) there weren't people sitting behind me, you know, it was a very like kind of isolated experience. Um, we had, and I needed it to be, I needed it to be because that language is so hard to hear. Yeah. Like when you're hearing the M word dropped, like, like over and over and over and over again in a way that is comfortable it is so uncomfortable to listen to Mm -hmm. and it's uh i don't know so much of that movie made me feel so uncomfortable and not um i mean obviously for for like the black racism but also for the jewish racism as well Mm -hmm. there was so much that set me on edge that is like when you're reminded that that stuff is real and that is rooted in truth and history it's so much grosser it is so gross, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I found myself rem- I found myself sitting there tr- reminding myself that a black man made this film. Mm-hmm. I was like, a black man made this film. Like, you know, it's, but it was also like 
those actors, those white actors who had to just God sell it. God damn and right. I, and I'm just thinking like who, you know, I mean, I mean, again, I, I, and this is not like a white fragility comment at all, but like as an artist, you know, because I, I automatically just kind of assume that anyone who's attracted to a picture like that, um, especially with Spike Lee at the helm, is is like in their personal life uh, feels a certain way or has a particular type of like political lean, right? It's going to be woke. Yeah, yeah it's going to be woke. Mm-hmm. I, I, but like, you know, so in my mind, a bunch of woke white people mm-hmm. who basically are like playing the clan, and it's just, just the kind of... I'm so curious to see what those actors had to say uh-huh. about playing that. And then also the kind of the, the juxtaposition and this like, and not even juxtaposition, but like the, how similar the fundamentalism of this white power versus this black power type of conversation and how they're polar opposite ends of a spectrum, mm-hmm. but also very similar. The juxtaposition in that film was beautiful. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the clan meetings mm-hmm. and the black student union meetings, just that back and forth was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the, juxtap- the juxtaposition of the times in the 70s versus. Oh, God. Yeah. Wasn't again, ready for that. Spoiler. <laughs> um, but not a spoiler because we've all heard mm-hmm. what's happening currently, present day in these times. They end the film with the words of our fuck, fucking fuck, fuck president um, and all of the hatred and bigotry that he is then kind of fueled um, and Charlottesville and his justification of there being fine people on both sides. And it's that was what wrecked me. Like in the end, after going on this whole journey for two hours and ending it with that broke something in me. I was like, fuck, we're still here and we're worse. We are here times a gajillion because we've gone so far back. Yeah. It's so hard. So this is how I saw Black Klansmen. Go. So I actually went on a date to see Black Klansmen. Hey. Um, I'll tell you about that off mic. I want to hear about that gentleman Um, caller. We had a very nice dinner. We saw the last show of the day. (laughs) Um, at, I had a very nice dinner where we, you know, we, um, just talked and, and then we walked to the theater from dinner. And was this date a person of color? Yes. So we're both, we're both a POC and we, and I, I feel, I gave him an option. I was like, we could see this movie or this movie. Well, what are his options? Um, well, the other one was this like indie horror film that had just come out and then the, uh, that just come out and was being shown at digital gym. Called? Um, called the summer of eighty four. Ooh, okay. And I want to see searching. By the oh, way. yes, I want to see searching too. Yeah, okay. Um, we might have to go see that together. Okay. Uh, and or Crazy Rich Asians. And he said, "Oh, I'm fine with anything." And I'm like, "I think." Had you seen Crazy Rich Asians? I yet? had already seen it, but I totally would see it again. <laughs> so did I. Um, I also like didn't want to be that guy who was like, "Let's go see a rom com on our date." Uh huh. You know, but I. I but felt are you like, also like, do you want to be militant with me? Let's go see the Black Klansman. Well, I was. I, I had no idea what to expect, so yeah. I was like, okay, Black Klansman. <laughs> I know that this is something that you'd appreciate based on conversations we had, and you know, you're also he's a pretty woke individual as well. Uh-huh. So we went, and we went to the lot, which uh, for those who do not know or not from like a Southern California. Let me area. describe your experience at the lot. <laughs> yes, the lot. Can I walk in? Okay. Let me go. Let me just take you through it. Please take us through it, Wendy. Here you go, friends. First, I'm going to apply my spa voice. 
Because you walk into the marble lobby of the, of the lot, where there's like... Parapet floors. Yes, <laughs> glass-flowing waterfalls in the middle. To the right, you can buy gourmet popcorn, like seven flavors of gourmet popcorn. For $12 each. And there's no like generic candy, like M&M's. It's all like homemade truffles and chocolates, and it's crazy. Then you go to the left where you buy your ticket. And at first you're shocked that they're charging you $50 a ticket. (laughs) But then you're like, you know what? This is going to be a good experience. It's fine. So then you go in. You sit in these giant-ass lounge chairs, like like half couches, Mm -hmm. basically. Like you almost get like a full love seat to yourself. To either side of said love seat is like a full table and menu wherein you can hit a buzzer and a server will come to you during the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Take your order and then bring you food during the movie. So you can eat a whole goddamn meal while watching the movie. And we're talking like legit good tasting like food. Like gourmet, beautiful restaurant food. Yeah. Like, coming to you like while you're steak. sitting back. You have a steak. Like. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that's what I saw. <laughs> so, so that's where I chose. Well, it was mainly Like the ultimate privilege while watching the I Black know. Clansman. Well, the other thing is, so we were outside the theater and there was this like, um, <laughs> there was this WOP, this white woman of privilege mm. who was standing outside and she was like looking lost. And I wanted to tell her uh, Mission Impossible's that way. <laughs> but she went into Black Klansman with her son who was maybe 11 years old. Mm. And they sat next to us and she like ordered like, a white wine and a burger and fries. That's what you do with a lot. And it was like, it, this movie started at nine o'clock. This is a two hour movie that started at nine o'clock yeah. on a weekday. Um, Perfect time to bring your 11 year old. We were probably the only POCs in the theater. <laughs> and wow. it was so fascinating. Cause like, and I looked around and I'm like, okay, these people, they look like those kind of like crunchy granola white people that uh-huh. would go see this film. Um, but yeah, and so then we like proceeded to watch it, and then it was just like, I mean, it, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting this movie to be like, I, I wasn't looking for like a movie to get us in the mood or anything. I was looking mm. like this is, I, I was like, I know he'll appreciate this film. I think this will be a really great topic for conversation, mm-hmm. and it was. <laughs> but that is how I saw. Well, we had wildly Man's different experiences. We sure did, but it was. I, I just kept thinking about like, oh my God, this woman who brought her son is not going to, probably not going to have any conversation. Mm-hmm. And like, like I just wanted to talk to her. I'm like, can you tell me what was going through your mind when you decided to buy a ticket to Black Funny Hansman? you should say that though, because when I, like that night I got home and a friend of mine posted, I just took my son to see Black Klansman. Mm. He's 14. She's like, it was so important. It was, uh, we both have no words. Like, Everybody go see this movie. It really is so important. And I was like, I'm so glad that you took your son to see this. I saw it today too. I have no words either. Like, I mean, just resist y'all. And <laughs> um, just... Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Oh, so good. I mean, come on. So good. Harry Belafonte. You know what we need? We need On Golden Pond with Cecily Tyson and Harry Belafonte. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah. Oh, God. It was so good. So good. Um, It just, while you were watching, while I was watching it, I I remember feeling like this is an important movie. It's a film that is important. This is an important movie. And, like, I'm so glad it's in the Spike Lee canon. 
because it needs to be taught. I forgot what it was like to watch a Spike Lee film too. Spike like, Lee joints are the best, but some uh, some can get real far away from oh, what you think. You know, the last fl- Spike Lee film I remember I ever I've only ever seen two. I've never seen Do the Right Thing. Uh, uh, I know, right? Um, oh my. I've seen. Um, I think I, I I don't think uh, Inside Man was specifically a Spike Lee joint, but mm. it, he was uh, he was attached to it. But a Spike Lee joint, I saw the first one. And this was in college. Bamboozled. Uh huh. And then I saw this one. I uh-huh. was like, I, I felt so much similarity between the two, especially how I felt after. <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh, God. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's talk about Crazy Rich Asians. <gasps> Josephine. Yes. Are, are you a Crazy Rich Asian? Well, no. I'm a crazy... I'm a crazy... I'm one of those things. And it's crazy. <laughs> uh, You're a crazy middle-income Asian. I'm a crazy middle-income middle income Pacific Islander. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I guess I'm kind of Asian because my mom's half Filipino. So, sure. you know, I... I, I I don't identify. Well, I don't identify. It is in me. Sure. But um, so I read, I haven't finished, but I have read part of the book. Is um, it similar to the movie? The book is so much more detailed. Okay. Like so much more detailed and goes in a little bit deeper into the history of the family. Okay. And also the other kind of, they were periphery characters here, but they play in a lot more. Because okay. there's like, like Eddie... Um, Eddie f- f- factors in a lot more, mm-hmm. um, a lot, especially in the sequel too. Um, and but like all the stuff with Astrid is on point. All the stuff that between the couple is really mm-hmm. great. Um, is there going to be a sequel to this movie? Well, it's it's the the series itself is three books, so they've and already this was just the first, and this was just the first, and they did greenlight greenlight a sequel. Interesting. So and apparently in the subsequent books, it goes a little bit more into the relationship uh it goes a little bit more into kind of the how the family features in like singapore history and talks a lot about like um the grandma and apparently you don't you don't get between you don't get that uh the grandma is not fond of eleanor until the second book so that's something that they kind of brought out eleanor's the mom eleanor's the mom eleanor's michelle yo yeah oh but it was so good. So I, so how I saw it was um, I saw it with my friend Eric, who's Asian, uh-huh. <laughs> and him and his husband. And he like we basically all showed up at this one theater and we basically sat and we had a whole row to ourselves. And it was mm-hmm. just him and all of his friends. Um, they brought snacks from home because you can't see an Asian movie and not act Asian. So <laughs> they brought go. snacks from home. And it was so much fun. And it was just like, yes, yes. Seeing white people in the background as yeah. like servers and waiters. Yes. Like just. And it was, it was every kind of mm-hmm. Asian, like mm-hmm. every, yeah. It Tan, was fair, just all over the classes, place. Yeah. Occupations. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sat, I brought, I invited my friend Vinny and I told him, I said, um, cause in the first, in that scene where the women are having their Bible study, mm-hmm. the, the maids are in the background. And I told him, I said, uh, Filipina domestic workers are all over the book. Like it's a, it's a, it's one of the things they talk about a lot in the book about how like they're really good raising the children and everything. And so he noticed that like almost every time he saw like domestic help in the background, they happened to be darker Filipino looking people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's something that they got right. I want to um, share what Chrissy Teigen wrote. 
Um, did you see this? No, I did not. I don't follow her on on anything. Uh, I, I feel like I should, though, because... You should. Yeah. She great. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, man, man, be do, 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 do. Um, keep talking about crazy vacations. Yeah, times. it was. So, so there is a. So there was a. I posted this on Facebook, but there's a joke that oh, happens in the middle of uh, Crazy Rich Asians when Rachel goes to see Picklin uh, for the first time, and then Picklin's mom comes out, and there's a joke that happens that's a complete throwaway. But for me, it was the moment where the movie won my heart, and I felt the most seen by anything I'd ever seen in a film, mm. and it was when. Pecklin's mom comes out and she says, Oh, Rachel, nice to meet you. Come in, you know, Singapore's so hot. Come inside to the air con. <laughs> the phrase air con is a term that I have been saying since I was a kid. Really? It is something that my, like, back home, everyone says as a shorthand for air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And my, I didn't realize this, but my friend Vinny also, like, he grew up with that as well. And we were busting up laughing because I was like, air con. Like, no one says air con yeah. here. Um, but yeah, so I felt so seen by that. And then I did have people like text me like, Hey, what was that joke? And they're like, Oh, cool. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand because when you basically for 15 years call something one thing and then you come here and then you get looked at funny when it's not one Mm -hmm. thing. Totally. Okay. Here's what Chrissy Teigen said about this. And it was so poignant. Um, what can I really say about this movie that hasn't been said by absolutely everyone who's seen it? I've been excited to see this since production was announced, but I could have never imagined how wonderful it would be. I planned on seeing it, making a few jokes about how it checked all the boxes for me. Crazy, check. Rich, check. Asian, check. But the feeling I got during the credits, watching John dance with my little black Asian mashup baby bear Luna Tunes, was a feeling I haven't had at the end of any other movie. Luna, aside from being blown away by the general movie-going experience, yeah, she's 13 now, time flies, looked up, at Constant Swoo's mother and yelled, Yay! Which is grandma in Thai, because she saw someone who looked like her yay. Someone beautiful and aspirational. It was just something that simple, that simple that made my heart just warm. That made me happy. It made me happy to see this over-the-top story done from so many angles. Some I could totally understand because of my own confusing, confusing Asian-American upbringing. I loved it all from the quieter moments of talking around the table of sacrifice and past hardships to the spectacle of the bachelor party, finding that I could cry watching the most over-the-top aisle walk on the planet. Oh my God. You never know how much you miss being represented on screen until you actually see what it's like to be represented and represented by all different types of characters with all different types of personalities, just like any other great movie. Also, aside from all that, it's just colorful, fun, and big as fuck. God, I love a rom-com. God, I loved it all. Thank you guys for making this movie. That is from Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. She, that's, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. And it was just such, and and I keep thinking like, is it? Am I just being blinded by the how awesome it is represent, representation wise? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, it is actually a really good rom com. That, uh, that's what I was talking about with one of my friends too. I was like, it's just, it was a really good movie and really beautifully made. Yeah. It's right up there with me uh, for me with like uh, my best friend's wedding, which mm-hmm. is my favorite rom com of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it has. I mean, it has all the things that I love. It's centered around a wedding, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a time. We're, mm-hmm. we're on a time thing. 
Um, the I didn't realize this. Uh, just a funny thing too. The the woman who had the aisle, this the whole like row to herself. The 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 woman that Rachel ends up talking to. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she is um, a very famous. Uh, Filipina actress mm. and is actually related to like a former president of the Philippines, the Noy Aquino. Um, and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, and that's the other thing they can now wheel out these like prestigious actors and actresses from like Asian cinema to have these bit parts, but yeah. like it's for the people watching it to Harry, be like, what's his name from Glee had this like oh, tiny little cameo. At the yeah. End of Harry Shum Jr. Yeah. First of all, Harry Shum. <laughs> Harry Shum Jr. Yeah. has his name in the main cast credits. Yeah. Didn't say a GD word. Uh-huh. And because the thing is, is that his character, that particular character is in, he's actually features more prominently in the, in the first book, mm. like a lot more prominently in the first book, but they are setting it up to be this really great character for the future. That's awesome. Which I love. So cool. The moment that, um, that really, <sighs> got me was the mahjong table. Oh. Uh, I um and I mahjong is a big thing in Jewish culture too. I did not know that. It is. So my mom grew up um my mom still plays mahjong like twice a week, but she grew up um watching her mom play mahjong with like the Jewish ladies in the neighborhood and all of that and um my mom has when when my grandma passed she got uh, a mahjong flower, like the flower tile, like tattooed on her shoulder. Oh, wow. I know. So like, that's really cool. So like, the, just the the quiet, the quiet kind of ceremony and occasion of that mahjong table, and the conversation and the understanding and what passes in unspoken words between the tiles, and um, and just the connections between mothers and daughters, and and who taught you to play. Um, ugh. It oh was so lovely, and and here's and look at you, look at you finding something for it yourself, like yeah. f- be feeling represented yeah. as well. And I'm and a Jewish white girl, guys, exactly. from Long Island. Yeah. From Long Island. <laughs> I mean, like I fuck, I like my entire life, I've had to like empathize with people all over being like correct, but it's like. Mm. It's that, and that's the beauty of art. Like it's the beauty of art yeah. is that you, it, it, it elicits a response from someone, and, and it, it connects it, culture. It connects culture. Yeah. Plus, can we please talk about uh, very briefly? But Michelle Yeoh's smooth criminal looking pantsuit when she's in the mahjong scene, oh, like white with black pinstripe, I mean, like fucking flawless. Yeah, they couldn't have cast a better Eleanor. Flawless. Mm-hmm. Uh, she threw the right amount of shade. And how stunning and just charming was Constance Wu. Like, oh my God. She was just perfect. We need more Constance Wu in our lives. She's we really do. She's just so delicious, you know? Yeah. Oh, she's beautiful. Perfect casting for that. Such perfect casting. Um, okay. So. Oh no. Here we go. Well, yeah. So, um, <laughs> we, I feel like there's, there's just so much like summer diversity to celebrate uh-huh. and to talk about in, in cinema. And like, even just these like, what 10 minute conversations we're having about each movie is like such a snippet of like what that does to like American culture and Mm -hmm. like the art that we're seeing that we continue to produce, you know, is like so important that we're doing that Mm -hmm. in a way that represents all of us. And, um, and that covers all, all things. Right. Okay. So this morning I saw eighth grade. (gasps) Um, and what's interesting to me is that in that, that represented a kind of underrepresented, um, age group Mm -hmm. and, uh, it kind of shed light on 
anxiety mm-hmm. in a way that like I, so I saw it with another eighth grade teacher, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the two of us went Oh God! and we watched and so <laughs> much of the movie like gave us anxiety just because of like how delightfully awkward this girl is and her experience of trying to figure it out and how to, how to get friends and how to build confidence and how to fit in. And like it, so much of it is just so painful to watch that it's like, Oh, this hurts my heart. Oh my God. It gives me so much anxiety. But like you see this girl have these very real moments of panic and anxiety and growing pains. And those are things that are also kind of underrepresented in ways that feel honest and not like fetishized in like Mm -hmm. a teenage rom-com for the summer or something, you know, Mm -hmm. but in like a really beautiful artistic film that, that is, it was just so honest. It was just really, really good. And like, it doesn't, for me, it didn't tell much of a story other than this girl's last week of eighth grade, you know, um, but there, there are so many moments in it that just made you feel so many things like so mm-hmm. deeply. Um, and it, this relationship this girl has with her father, you know, like the kind of tension that a teenager has with a single parent is like, huh, when your, your parent is just trying to do so good for you. And mm-hmm. like, it, uh, there were so many things, but it was, it was beautiful. It just made me feel lots of feelings. <laughs> Oh, I bet. I bet. And I was like, this is too close to home. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) So now I feel like the next time an eighth grader is trying to be a little shit to me, I'm going to be like, okay, I have a certain empathy for you because I remember what you are going through. (sighs) But don't push it. I know. (laughs) I know. But no, but it was, it was a really beautiful film. It's worth seeing. Yeah, and I think she's going to get nominated for an Oscar for it. I just can't believe Bo Burnham directed and wrote that. Yeah. Like, just, and, and I, I remember yeah. him, uh, he did an interview where he's like, I wanted to write a movie about my experience in my experience. So instead of being like masturbatory, he's like, I, I figured I'd just do it from this perspective instead. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like that's one, that's a very interesting way to, to tell a story, especially one that is very personal, mm-hmm. um, is to completely, you know, change it up in that way. But two, like I, I've have, I've heard nothing but really good things about the film. So it's I real can't wait to good. Watch it. It's really good. And I like that, um, that he mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writes for a female voice. So honestly, yeah, you know, it mm-hmm. was, it was really stunning and very like quiet. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really, really good. Um, okay. F- fives of listeners. We're getting there. Promise. We're almost there, fives. Promise, promise. Do you want to quickly talk about to all the boys I've loved before on yeah. Netflix? <laughs> so I recently came out of my rom-com closet. You I did. I proclaimed to everybody that I, um, I'm i not ashamed anymore to well, admit that I love. Well, then, why, side note, have you watched Love on Netflix? No, I haven't. Because I just got into that. Okay, maybe I have to give it a second chance. You need to give Love a second chance, and then I'll watch To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Well, I think you'll love To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So I've been told this. It's it's just beautiful. It's it's interesting because it's like, so it's based on a YA novel written by an Asian-American woman. Uh-huh. Um, I think she's Korean because the family in it is Korean. And so basically, you you figure out like three sisters and their dad and yeah, a mom who is Asian who, did, who has passed. But that's uh-huh. not the thing. The premise of the film is that this girl has 
had five different. Like, is it a movie or a series? It is a movie. Oh, okay. I thought it was so a series. She, um, it, over the course of her life, and she's going into her junior year of high school. Over the course of her life, she's had, uh, she's been like quote unquote in love and had really strong feelings for five different guys. So she wrote them a letter, uh-huh. and once she like writes all of her feelings down, addresses it, and then puts it in a box, she never, um, she doesn't send it, but uh-huh. she gets it all out, and that's how she deals with it. Uh-huh. And this is like a guy that she like made out with in like a seventh grade, like process my feelings exactly. Someone yeah. from like Model UN, like you know, <laughs> those kinds of things. I know, right? yeah, got it. And so by 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 pure, you know, by because it's a film. The letters get delivered. And um, what ends up happening is that, you know, chaos ensues and then something ends up happening with like one of the boys. And you just have to figure it out from, you just Uh have to watch from there. Okay. But it was just so beautiful and just so, just like, it was so twee and very like, (laughs) but like not in that kind of like overly saccharine way. Mm -hmm. It was like very honest and, you know, you had like a smart jock. Mm-hmm. Like a smart, intelligent, non-problematic jock mm-hmm. as like one of the romantic leads. And it was just like him, that actor, like he's going to work. He's, he will work forever. But that particular like representation of that kind of person is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was really good. Interesting. Well, on the subject of Netflix rom-coms, mm-hmm. I watched Set It Up. Yeah. <laughs> starring Lucy Liu. And Tay Diggs. Now, what did you think <laughs> of Set It Up? <laughs> I'm assuming you've watched it. Oh, As you I did. guffawed away from the microphone. <laughs> I did watch it. Um, I watched it because I was this like... This was when I was in the closet about rom-coms <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody that I watched Set It Up. No, I sure did. <laughs> Yesterday, I just decided I got home from seeing the Black Klansman and I was like... <laughs> I was like, I need something that is like light and fluffy. <laughs> I just need to lay on my couch well, and like say no more. Feel feelings. So that's when I dove into <laughs> set it up, and then I started watching Love, the Judd Apatow series. Yes. Um, what did you think of Set It Up? Okay, Set It Up. I mean, <laughs> I liked. I like that Lucy Liu is getting work. I, I believe in a world where Lucy Liu is working. Uh, I yes. believe in a world where Tay Diggs is working. Yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the premise is like their assistants set up their two terrible bosses. The assistants start, you know, they fall in love. Spoiler, guys. In yeah. case you didn't figure it out in the first five minutes of this yeah. movie, then I just ruined it for you. And my apologies. I'll buy you popcorn. But... Yeah. um. It's cute, you know. Exactly. It's cute. I loved the cameos in it of um, uh, Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. I loved um, Titus Burgess was in it. Yes, he was. Um, oh, he was so funny. He was. Who else made cameos? In well, it? there was. What it was a cameo, but I don't think I don't think you know who he is. But his name's Shibuki Young White, and he is a he's a comedian, and mm-hmm. he's a queer comedian, and he he's one of the assistants in the very first montage. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just like, oh, 
I, I, I'm kind of having a crush. I'm kind of having a celeb crush on Shibuki Young White these days. Um, and it's, and that's growth for me listeners because I'm having crushes on men who are actually like homosexuals. So. Actual gay men, Actual gay Asian men. Gay men. So, but I thought it was, I thought it was exactly what. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. Exactly what you you know like, what you're signing on for when you hit play Netflix. Exactly. Like we get it. It's just, I, you, it's just funny. Cause it's like, why do we keep watching rom-coms? Cause we just want to see how they're going to get there. Netflix made that specifically for you big girl yeah listen hey you i may or may not have been eating like cookie, hey girl. cookie butter ice cream when i was watching it hey like girl. feeling my feelings are you feeling sad today do you want to eat half a pizza <laughs> do you want to watch like two moderately attractive people do you know what movie you want to watch you know what you're signing up for that's oh, what netflix man. did they were like let's make a movie for that big girl yeah and they did. And her cats. And her cats. That's what they did, yes. So anyway, thanks, Netflix. You're doing God's work. Okay, we're moving on now. Uh, we need to talk about some fallen giants. So um, Neil Simon Ugh. passed away. Um, you know, a giant. A giant, giant of the American theater. What can we say? Um, my first experience with Neil Simon, um, a full Neil Simon play, Mm -hmm. um, would be, uh, when my high school did rumors Mm. (laughs) and, you know, I love a door slamming farce as much as the next person, but my high school did rumors and, um, Neil Simon is actor proof. All kinds of theater teachers love Neil Simon plays because, because Actors can't fuck it up. It's all there in the writing. It's like perfect. Yeah. You know, it's perfect writing. So, um, and right now, um, yeah. it's still in the run. But right now in San Diego is uh, Barefoot in the Park. Yeah, which um, I can only imagine what that cast is feeling. But right but yeah. there at the Globe. Yeah. Yeah, right there at the Globe. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So thank you, Mr. Simon, for for all of the Tonys. Very well deserved, um, and for your contributions to the American theater. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Um, can we talk about Mama Re? Oh. Re, Re. Now, here's the thing. I feel like the world gave us a heads up. Mm-hmm. We were told two days in advance that it was coming. Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times, like, when, when these giant cultural icons, why I say giant, I'm not being sizest. Aretha's perfect. I'm talking about giant in in scope and and talent and and breadth of work. Um, When our our icons fall, a lot of times we're taken by surprise. When Bowie fell, like no one saw that coming. We were not prepared for it. When George Michael died, no one saw that coming. Whitney, Amy, nobody saw that coming. so with Aretha Franklin, we were given like two days warning that she was in hospice. She was not doing well. People were flying to her bedside. So we knew it, it was going to be any day now. Um, and when she passed, obviously it was heartbreaking and all of the, tri- the tributes and, um, and, you know, yeah. gifts kind of came pouring forth of, of her beautiful work and, and all the things that she's given us. Yeah. I, I can't say that I'm, I'm too familiar with her 
with her work outside of hits and outside of mm-hmm. you know that and not and I also can't s- particularly say that I'm familiar with like what she means as like a cultural icon uh-huh. um, especially like of like female female artists female recording artists mm-hmm. and what that means but I have to say that the to have that kind of impact that she had mm-hmm. um, wasn't was tremendous, and to be as firm and as strong and call her what you want, call her diva, call her whatever, mm-hmm. she earned it, and it came from a place of like such confidence and such like I know what I know what I'm worth, I know what I can bring, I know mm-hmm. what I bring to the table, um, just. Just give me what I'm worth. Well, Fantasia tells us a really great story mm-hmm. about how, like, the first time she she met Aretha Franklin and, like, she came up to her and said, you can sing, but there's only one bitch around here. You know? Yes! <laughs> and, and Fantasia said, yes, Miss Franklin, I, get, yeah. I understand. You know, like, it, it's so Aretha absolutely knew her place yeah. in, in the canon of of music mm-hmm. and, and Nobody diva status. Nobody interrupts the queen of soul, No bitch. one. Yeah. Um, and what's what's interesting is that you know Aretha Franklin's funeral happened in tandem with John McCain's funeral, and when when two giants fall like this, like we honor the whole scope of their lives, right, and everything that they stand for. So you kind of learn so much about these people and their youth and and the extent of their family and and all of that. So like. The other night I watched like hours of, of backstory on John McCain on CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that kind of then got brought to the public's attention was, or remind the public was reminded of the fact that Aretha Franklin was such a voice in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was like a young Panther. So when she sang respect, she was singing on behalf of black women you know, saying that black women demanded respect. And that was so unheard of. Like, it's easy for anybody now to hear like, R-E-S-B-E-C-T. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool. But when you think about it in the context of the cultural context of where that stood in the, in the course of American history, mm-hmm. that was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, Especially after having seen Black Klansmen. And, yeah. You know, are you for the liberation of black people, my brother? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, you know... Aretha Franklin, black excellence yeah, to the extreme. I mean, in our very first Art Time of the Month, we talked about the Kennedy Center Honors. And the first thing that I thought of when she passed was that no one in the world will ever receive a gift like Carol King got. Mm-hmm. The gift that Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. gave Carol King that night. Like, no one will ever receive anything of that that magnitude ever mm-hmm. again. Um, and ugh, what a gift, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I went to, um, I happened to be at uh, Martini's Above Fourth, uh-huh. which is a local gay bar, cabaret little spot. Uh-huh. And um, I was there for uh, my some a friend's birthday. And... Um, when they came back, when the little band came back from uh, break, they did like they did some Motown medley, mm-hmm. and they ended with "Freeway." Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was like just a beautiful way to kind of, and that was the day of the funeral. So that yeah, was yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't watch the funeral in its entirety, mm-hmm. but some of the tributes that 
that then came to life were like beautiful. So Jennifer Hudson sang, mm-hmm. um, Fantasia sang, Ariana Grande sang, and then coincidentally got groped by one of the pastors. Did you see that? I heard about it, but I did not actually see the video. <sighs> it's but, disturbing. But then yeah. of course, like like people were like criticizing what she was wearing in church. It's like that that is the definition of misogyny. Yeah. Like talking about her skirt instead of the fact that a pastor had his hand on her breast. Like, yeah, no, no, absolutely not. Ariana did a beautiful job paying respect to a queen, and Aretha Franklin had great respect for mm-hmm. Ariana Grande and had like sent her samples and stuff, which is incredible. Um, Aretha also loved Faith Hill mm-hmm. um, and like thought the world of her. Um, so again, I didn't watch the funeral in its entirety, but it's I watched. It's still going on, I think. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it was literally like twelve hours or something like that. So it was, oh, yeah, man. just a nonstop. Just want to make of, sure you, you. They. It's like we, we just want to yeah. make sure we. Send in case her you off, understand, right? like yeah. how she affected American culture, yeah. let's have everyone in America speak right now. Yeah. To honor her, um, so yeah, I mean. There were some some big moments in America happening, like <laughs> just this week, mm-hmm. you know, to end our summer with an American musical icon and then John McCain passing as well. Mm-hmm. Neil Simon, you know, like we're covering like politics, music, theater. Yeah. We're losing these giants across the board. So It was a big summer, y'all. It was a really big summer. It was a jam-packed summer, guys. We did a lot of things. <sighs> What do we have coming up in the fall? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, it's the fall, so... Well, guys, award season is about to kick off. (laughs) (laughs) The Emmys are coming. The Emmys. Emmys, 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 Emmys. They're coming. September is the only, like, off-season Emmy award show. Well, unless we're counting the VMAs. Did you watch the VMAs? Fuck no. Fuck no, right? Like, I'm too old for that shit. I I am legit. I'm like, I am comfortable not watching the VMAs. I will maybe watch the MTV Movie Awards because I always like them more than the VMAs. Every time I watch those, I'm like, why? Who are these people and why am I 80? I don't get it. I don't get it. When Um, we watch the Billboard Awards, I'm like, who the fuck is BTS? I didn't know who Dua Lipa was. I mean, come on. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the things. So that's exactly what she wants you. She doesn't want you to know who she is. She does <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so we have the Emmys coming up in September. Um, the return of fall television is coming end of September, early October, really. Right. Um, you're seeing some big theater coming up, correct? I'm seeing some, uh, some nice regional stuff. So I'm seeing some good regional theater. Okay. Cool. Um, cool, cool. Yeah. So, so we'll talk about that. All right. Um, should we end with what? What was the big summer jam of the summertime? Uh, I have some thoughts about this. What was your summer jam? So, I mean, summer jam that came out this summer. Yeah. Um, I thought that Ariana's album, Ariana Grande's album, was really great. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, Sweetener was really good. Um, I know that she released God is a Woman way in advance, but uh-huh. I discovered it on Sweetener, and my God, it is so good. Um, yeah. uh, so I thought like that was a really good one. Um, I thought that uh, the Drake song, that Kiki, do you love me? I'm like, oh, that's a really in my feelings. Uh, yeah, that was a really good, uh, a nice, good summer jam. I thought "One Kiss" by Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa was also <laughs> really mm-hmm. good. Uh, like summer jam. I don't know. There was some good bops this summer. Ape shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, there was some good stuff. I mean, you know how I feel about a good Megan Trainer jam. You know? <laughs> oh, she had that song. She had that. Um, yeah. Uh, let you be right. Yeah. Oh, that that was a good yeah. one. Um, Cardi B was on a Maroon Five song that wasn't like a bop, but it was definitely like a nice, like catchy little thing. Yeah. Was there? There wasn't one summer like there was no Mambo Number no. Five. No, there was no. <laughs> there like, was no thong song. There was no like cool for the summer. No song that kind of no, no no Despacito. No. Nothing that kind of encapsulates. I think if you had to really think about what song may have encapsulated the entire summer, it would be In My Feelings. I, hmm. I felt like that was the front runner for many weeks uh, of the summer and mainly because how it kind of was a part, like it was a part of an internet thing and, and all of that. Like, I feel like that is where that's what, that's what that would be. Like that, that would be if I had to guess my, my song of the summer. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there was some really good. And then I like discovered some really cool music in general this summer that was not like any hits or anything, but it was just a good, it was just a good kind of, um, it, it was a good kind of alt poppy summer in, in that regard. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at, um, Spotify right now and the charts and the new releases, Let's look at the charts, shall we? Let's consult the charts. Let's let us consult the chart. A global top fifty, United States top fifty. Let's do U.S. top fifty. U.S. top fifty. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, we had Lucky You, featuring Eminem. Um, don't even know it. I know. The apparently Eminem is back right now. Fefe uh, featuring Nicki Minaj. In my feelings, Drake. Mm-hmm. Lucid dreams. Uh, Eminem's like all up on the chart. He right just now. released an album. He'd Beyonce. I love Eminem. I love it. Um, Taste by Tyga and Offset. Uh, no. Nonstop by Drake. Um, yeah, I don't know any no. of these. Robin I like Rooney. it by Cardi B. Bad Bunny. Oh, I like it was a good uh, like it was a good song. But that song, but that was on her album, and that album came outside of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, I'm not I'm not one to nitpick. A song is a song. Um, but a song is a song. That was really good. Uh, I like it was really good. Uh, oh my god, Nicki Minaj's Chun Li was very good. Like it, it was just like, uh, and she did that on SNL when SNL was still around uh-huh. uh, last season. Um, yeah, it was a. It was. It's been an interesting year for music so far, and I'm looking. There was forward. no like one standout this summer. N- no, I, I I didn't feel like it. It wasn't as apparent as like Despacito was mm-hmm. or Cool. For, I always go to those two, Despacito and Cool for the summer. Mm-hmm. Those summers encapsulated the entire summer. Yeah. but nothing, nothing so much. There was a lot of little things. Again, if I had to choose one, it probably would be. Um, it probably would be uh, in my feelings, but. Word. Word, I'll take it. All right. I'll take it. So we have we have big things ahead. Yes. Listeners. Yes, we this do. has been a, a jam-packed summer episode. So September we'll come back to you with some smaller some smaller little nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. But we appreciate you listening. Yeah. And uh we hope that you know you go out and uh explore the art in your community. Yeah. Go support local artists and enjoy your time of the month. Thanks, Josephine. Bye. Bye.